Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 29 of the Linkage Podcast by Episcopal Retirement Services. This episode is for the week of January 24th, 2021. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Brian Reynolds, Vice President of Marketing of Episcopal Retirement Services, and I'm here with Kristen Davenport, Director of Communication for ERS and our Executive Producer. How are you, Kristen? Oh, I'm having a great week, Brian. Uh, finally got my vaccine. I know you've gotten yours as well. Mm-hmm. There'll be definitely some vaccine talk on this podcast today, and uh, I'm just excited for um, to finally get to this point uh, in this process. You know, there's definitely a theme of, of hope as the vaccine rolls out and many of our residents and staff have gotten it. So that, that'll be fun to share. So the, the Linkage podcast is dedicated to educating our audience about issues regarding aging, informing people about the mission of ERS and how that comes to life in our everyday interactions with our residents, clients, families, and staff members. So Kristen, you want to tell us a little bit more about our show coming up? Yeah, well, Brian, we have joining us this week some really interesting guests. Uh, first up is Joni Thomas. Joni lives at Marjorie P. Lee in Hyde Park. And uh, Joni will talk with us a little bit, not only about being vaccinated, but what it's been like to uh, live at Marjorie P. Lee during these times and some of the exciting things she's still been engaged in there. And uh, then joining you, Brian, this week was uh, Nash McCauley and his brother Stan. Uh, those two have some great memories to share with our listeners uh, about living across the street from the Mance Hotel mm-hmm. back in the day when it was a really happening place. A lot of uh, celebrities, uh, baseball players, entertainers coming and going from there. So they've got some wonderful memories to share with our listeners. And uh, of course, joining us, President and CEO Laura Lamb will be with us to give us an update on uh, how things have been going all around the ERS communities. Well, another great episode, always having uh, some good, uh, some great guests actually, and uh, some great conversations. So with that said, uh, Kristen, you wanna introduce our first guest? Absolutely, Joni Thomas and I uh, got to get together this, uh, this week. We had a wonderful conversation. So listeners, please welcome Joni Thomas. Welcome, Joni Thomas, to our podcast today. How's your week been so far? Pretty good. Um, the sun's been out a lot. Yes. This has been a week of hot breakfasts, and we're very excited about <laughs> scrambled eggs, bacon, and a pancake three times this week. It was so fun. Oh, that is that sounds great. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. A good breakfast is a way to, a good way to kick off your day for sure. That's wonderful. Absolutely. Well, good. Yeah. Well, hey, I was just uh, just looking forward to our conversation. I know we've not met in person, um, but I'm really glad to be um, talking with you today. I know there's some exciting things happening at Marjorie Peely right now. I know uh, vaccines are underway, and um, I know you were able to get vaccinated. Um, why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, just your experience with that and, and your decision making going into deciding that you wanted to have the vaccine? My decision making wasn't hard at all. I have always had a great admiration for the medical field. And, you know, to me, this has been a very dramatic 
period of all the medical people that were working with the sick people and all the medical people working in laboratories trying to get this vaccine out as fast mm-hmm. as they could. I hope there are a lot of stories about this because it's it's a wonderful period of people helping people. Mm-hmm. And so finally we get the vaccine. So I was very excited about that. It was um, like a party <laughs> when, <laughs> when we did it. Yeah. And uh, we all had to sit there 15 minutes afterward, Right. I think, to make sure that we were okay with the vaccine. So we right. all were talking about, isn't this fun? Isn't this exciting? Mm. Um, it's just wonderful period. <laughs> yes. Finally, we're, we're here seeing that, that light at the end of the tunnel and it, things are looking yeah. brighter for sure. For sure. Oh, well, I'm, yeah. I'm so thankful that um, our residents are able to receive the vaccine and our staff members, our team members who are working in the communities are, are now also being vaccinated. Right. It's getting very oh, exciting. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm very thankful oh. for that. And I'm, I'm thankful that you're willing to share, you know, your reason, your reasoning and your, your um, motivations for wanting to be vaccinated. And I do, I, I agree with you. Our, our healthcare wonderful. heroes are amazing people and this will help them for sure. Well, that is yeah. um, one thing that I wanted to talk to you about today, but also I know you've lived at Marjorie Peely for, I don't know, oh. a few, a few years now is how, how many has it been? Um, a year and a half. A year and a half. Okay. So <laughs> you haven't lived there very long uh, before COVID, but I know you've been involved because you are, if I have this correct, you're the president of the library. Is that right? Well, uh, chairman of the committee. Uh-huh. Well, tell yes. our listeners a little bit about the library. And I know when you took that position, they were in the midst of a big change. Why don't you tell our listeners about everything you guys went through? I have been at Marjorie Peely several times with my sister. So I was very familiar with it um, from the inside. And then um, I moved here when I was 87. Um, Anyway, now I'm 88. So um, uh, it's been a great great occasion for me to live like this. This has been fun. Anyway, so the library. Um, The library, when I first knew it, was this beautiful room on the first floor. decided to add the physical therapy to the library. And the room has turned into physical therapy, which is a wonderful thing. But anyway, so then they were hunting around for where are we going to put the books? And there is this space up on the very top, sixth floor. Yes. And they bought bookshelves to fit in the room. And then the process of bringing all these boxes of Mm -hmm. books, Mm -hmm. which did not have anything on the books that said, this is fiction or this is a biography or what the heck the book was. So that was our job. And there were several people that just 
dug in there and were wonderful, like Ann Harrison, Juanita Leggy, Ann Hunter, a long and funny process of armfuls of books. So we got it all together. It looks wonderful. We tagged every book with what it was and several of them with the last name of the the first letter of the last name of the author so that when we got them back, we'd know where they went on yes. the bookshelf. Um, and then down the hallway and around the corner was the paperback section. And that was piles, <laughs> thousands, thousands of paperback books. Oh and uh, Sister um, uh, Joanna Mosley, got that all settled out and it just looks just a very pretty little paperback book library so they're both these parts um upstairs on the sixth floor and it's a lovely quiet strange little place it's very (laughs) fun it's got two beautiful comfortable chairs and a table and chairs and and then surrounded with all these wonderful books and we're now over a thousand books in there, so it's a great room just to go up and sit, right? <laughs> among all those authors and all those wonderful stories. Oh, that is I love that it. sounds wonderful. You know, and oh, I've not uh, I've not been there. Do you remember what month did you start putting all the books away in their new space? Oh, March or April. Right. Yeah. It was right around the time of the pandemic, wasn't it? I mean, it kind of coincided. I remember um, talking to one of the other residents. I think it was Ann Reed about it a little bit. And, um, you know, I have not been to the campus since that time, since first week of March. So I've not even seen the space, but I can imagine it. You describe how you describe it in my mind's eye. I'm trying to imagine the paperback section, thousands of paperbacks and and, oh, yeah. <laughs> and and the books that you've arranged, not only by by uh, what type of book it is, but you've also got um, the the indicators on there for the last name so people can find the book. So it's a lending library, too. It's not just a place to come in and browse, but 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 uh, right. residents can also can can take those back to their rooms and read them, which is wonderful. Right. Yes. I'm oh, sure yes. it's been a, a wonderful resource, especially during these times. People are um, obviously at the campus a lot more than previously, and um, I'm sure it's just been a, a wonderful um, resource for our residents there. Um, there's no better way to w- escape something like a pandemic than through a good book, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, yes, you're so right. And I'm glad you said Ann Reed's name. I, that slipped my mind, and she was certainly a great help and also Esther Power which we have another library on the first floor um, which is like coffee table books they're beautiful books we were running out of space and so we took all the Cincinnati collection like we had two shelves full of books just about Cincinnati so we moved them down to the first floor and Esther got that all arranged, all pretty. So our Cincinnati 
books all went down on the first floor and Oh, well, I love that. That's wonderful. Um, yeah, I, I ha- I'm trying to imagine where that space is. Is it near the um, Marjorie P. Lee Library, or is it in a different space? It's across a room from from the laundry room. Oh yeah. Oh, I know where that space is. It's near just the a little, yes, a lobby. little step up. Yes. Uh-huh. Right. And it has yes. that be- beautiful um, stained glass window there. Yes. Yes. I love that space. That's such a nice little yes. nook. <laughs> well, that's oh, great how you were um, very ingenious to, to separate out the Cincinnati books and the Cincinnati authors to put them in that space. That's wonderful. Well, I must say, Kristen, that's Esther Power. Um, I have a wonderful committee. And so they you know, come up with all these ideas and things. And so it's been so fun and it'll be so fun when we can all get together because now we are 10 people. Um, and so we can't meet anywhere. Um, and so, um, I've been doing, uh, communications through our little cubby holes yeah. where that we all have to get our mail. Yes. In. And so that I can keep contact with people and things, and we have small groups doing projects here and there. Um, but it'll be so nice when we can all be together and have a meeting and, and look at each other and see each other's whole face. <laughs> <laughs> yes. you know, has everybody forgotten what a whole face looks like? <laughs> I, I I agree. I agree. And, uh, you know, that's one of those things I don't think we yet fully, fully realize the, um, how grateful we will all be, you know, and, and how we've taken each other a little bit for granted before this. And it's really going to remind us all, you know, when, once we get back to that, once we get past this time, just, you know, what a blessing it is to gather with friends or gather with acquaintances and, um, and you know, oh, things yeah. like uh, books and, and libraries and things like that. It's wonderful. Well, Joni, it's yeah. been a pleasure to talk with you today. I'm so thankful that you were um, uh, available to, to speak with me today and to share with our listeners some of the, the wonderful things that are going on at Marjorie P. Lee with the, with the library and the books there, because it's just, it's, it's a wonderful way for, for our residents to, to stay uh, active and engaged through reading. And um, it's it's really important. And I'm so thankful that you've donated your time to to lead that effort. Oh my gosh, it was no problem at all since I had a lot of time. (laughs) We all have had a lot of time on our hands. I wish you all the best with um, the second round of the vaccine coming up. And um, yes, I, uh, I look forward to a time maybe where we can see each other, maybe distanced outside. We might still have masks on, but it'll be nice to see, to see at least most yes. of your face. <laughs> yes, Kristen, that'll be fun. And, and thank you for talking to me. This has been nice for me. Well, very good. Well, thank you so much, Joni. Well, what a wonderful interview with uh, Joni Kristen. She's so positive, and and again, uh, you can see she's really made the most out of this situation and enjoying her her stay as as a relatively new resident at Marjorie P. Lee. And uh, of course, you can kind of hear the the happiness in getting the vaccine. 
Absolutely. You wonder sometimes when uh, maybe somebody's new to one of our communities, maybe they have uh, missed some of the things that, you know, we're not really able to do, but it, it didn't seem to make a difference to Joni whatsoever. Um, she's still pursuing the things that she loves. She's finding ways to stay engaged uh, with her neighbors uh, by um, creating a, an amazing library up there on the sixth floor. And mm -hmm. I can't wait to see it in person. So uh, yeah, uh, we just had a great conversation, her love of books and uh, just providing that opportunity to her neighbors is, uh, was uh, really uplifting to hear from her this week. Awesome. Yeah. And I guess now next up, uh, we're going to uh, check in with our president and CEO, Laura Lamb. Let's listen to Brian and Laura's conversation. So we're back here again with President and CEO, Laura Lamb. How are you, Laura? I'm doing good. How about you? Doing doing good. Can you believe it's the end of January 2021 already? Oh, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. Only because my birthday is February 1st. So yeah. I know when yeah. the end of January is coming. <laughs> Happy early birthday. Well, thank you very much. Sure, sure. Well, it seems like just in a few weeks, a lot happens and has happened, and um, a lot's been happening with the vaccine around ERS. And I was wondering if you could provide our listeners with an update on how those rollouts have been going at all our uh, communities. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. Thank you for asking. I, I tell you, I could not be more... Um, pleased with the team, proud of the team at ECH and Marjorie mm -hmm. Lee and Dupree House. Boy, they, they're an organized bunch of um, leaders. I just love it. So yeah. we, um, as I think you know, we've partnered with Walgreens. Um, right. Each, each um, nursing home across the country had to choose between Walgreens and CVS, and Walgreens has been nothing but helpful and supportive and professional mm -hmm. um, with our clinics. And we've had two clinics. So let me back up. Each, um, each nursing home has the ability to have two times when people can get their shots. So right. because it's a two shot uh, vaccine, mm -hmm. we actually have three clinics. So, you know, clinic one, some people get their shot. Clinic two, you get your second dose. But then we also have people getting their first shot at clinic two. And then the third clinic is to wrap up people that got their first shot in clinic two. So a total of three clinics at all three of our retirement communities. Uh, we have, um, at Episcopal Church Home, we've completed two of the clinics and have um, mid-70 percentages for residents and staff, which is wow. incredible. Yeah. Um, so excited about that. And then at Dupree, just yesterday, we had our second of three clinics at, mm -hmm. at the Dupree campus. Mm -hmm. And um, I reported today to our staff group that we are actually community campus-wide actually in the 80% plus. So that's so yeah. exciting. Um, 
that were, you know, able to, to have that. And then Marjorie Lee, they were the last to get their call from Walgreens. Mm-hmm. Um, we always joke that it's alphabetical, it seems like. Yeah. Um, so they got their call and their, their first clinic was the first um, week of January. And then their second clinic will be next Thursday. So all three of our campuses mm-hmm. uh, are in process and oh. are doing so well at educating their staff and mm-hmm. their residents and their families about the importance of the vaccine. Yeah. Well, and, and I, it sounds like they're, they're, from what I've seen, there's just a lot of excitement from many of the staff to get the vaccine. And then also you've seen some interesting correlation early on, particularly at ECH, about the number of cases after the vaccine's been distributed so widely. Yeah, we really have. And, you know, it's been interesting because a couple of the things that we've noticed is that, you know, one one observation would be that many of the people that got the vaccine, say residents in Mm -hmm. particular, Mm -hmm. um, that got the first dose of the vaccine. And, you know, it's not fully effective until 10 days after your your second vaccine. Right. Right. But but it, there's some effectiveness after even one shot. Yeah. So it was really interesting because we started to see, you know, and it's widespread in Kentucky, especially mm-hmm. in Jefferson County. So yeah. we continued to have cases early on, but interestingly, the severity of the cases mm-hmm. seemed for those that had the vaccine seemed to be, you know, we don't know because, you know, it's, we didn't have a controlled experiment, but it seemed like the, the cases were milder, right? which is really, isn't that interesting? And yeah. then the most recent um, trend that we've seen that's just, I think, a big news item is that six, for six testings, now we have two testings a week. Mm-hmm. So for three weeks, a total of six testing rounds. Down at ECH. Down at ECH, we have had no positives come up during the surveillance. Wow. That is great. I mean, is huge because, you know, frankly, it happened after we're seeing this trend Mm -hmm. right at the second shot and after the second shot. And, you know, it's too, too soon to make any judgments, Mm -hmm. but, oh my goodness, it's, it's a positive sign. That's an encouraging data point, as you would like to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I do say that too much. You, 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 you're, you're repeating me. <laughs> I know you will. Yes. Yes, you do. So now, you know, we've been talking about the uh, retirement communities um, and the nursing settings, but um, there's also been some some exciting developments on the affordable living side here in Cincinnati as well, and your partnership with. Uh, our health commissioner, uh, Melba, uh, uh, Melba Moore as well. Right. right. Well, I just cannot speak highly enough about um, Commissioner Moore and what she's done for the city since she's um, been here. And mm-hmm. you know, I've had the pleasure and the honor of working with her on a couple initiatives um, that she's trying to advance. And mm-hmm. she's made it her priority to it, to come on site to see our affordable living and I, I just couldn't be more thankful for her partnership early on in the pandemic. Yeah. I, I, I think I mentioned it at a podcast that 
when we were struggling with the protocols, we, I reached out to her and got Mm -hmm. her advice. So she is just an amazing, um, woman. We're so lucky to have her in the city, but uh, so that's kind of background. So we get a, get an, an email from her staff asking us if we would be interested or would, would we consider having a clinic in our affordable living communities? And I don't need to tell you that that took like a nanosecond. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, right. please, 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 please. So um, the great news is that she's, her staff has been working with our affordable living staff and we've scheduled a series of clinics wow. in our affordable living campuses. And, you know, they're, they're, you know, the, the city is uh, using the same criteria as we all are, you know, it's the mm-hmm. cohorts that um, are a little bit different in the community than they are um, right. a retirement community and a retirement community. It's anyone that comes in and out of that works in that community, irregardless of their age. Whereas yeah. in the community, her vaccine is specifically for a particular age cohort. So the first clinics are reserved for um, community members, residents, and if we had staff over the age of 80, it, they would be included too. Um, so it's by age, which is just wonderful that they thought about us. And um, they've been going so smoothly that, um, again, that, that, being ready and being prepared and being organized is really paid off because we're very optimistic that when they have the next round that they'll come through our communities as well. Oh, that's great. And I think we offer such diversity throughout our neighborhoods throughout Cincinnati. That must be kind of an attractive way to distribute to the, you know, to a population that obviously needs it. Uh, Absolutely. Because you know what, what you're, I, I love her approach of like the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've heard on a national level, kind of what the concern is about one of the concerns about the rollout is in the community. A lot of the people that would benefit it from it mostly are unable to drive and, you know, you rely on public transportation. So if we can bring the vaccine to a neighborhood where they don't have to get on a bus or, you know, they can maybe, you know, family can get them to a St. Paul village easier than going downtown to the convention center as Mm -hmm. an example. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's some real feel good news in a year that that's had a lot of challenging news. So um, I think there's, it's nice to feel that optimism for sure. It sure is Brian. We need it. Don't we? We sure do. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, I, I just, you know, I am an optimistic person by nature. And I yes. just, you know, it, we are, you know, we've, we've talked about how 2021 is going to be the year that we get ahead of this. And I, I, I am so optimistic with what I'm hearing at a national level and a yeah. state level. And like I said, with Melba's leadership at a, a county and a city level. So, yeah. We're, 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 we're going to get through this together. I, I am very confident of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and speaking of optimism, I know you're getting 
those questions now, like when, when will uh, the dining room open up or when will, you know, this open up? And, and so <laughs> I, I know you had kind of addressed this earlier with our staff, but I thought it was some good advice and, and information for our, our listeners as well. So could you, could you kind of talk about yeah. that? You know, it, uh, literally at the first vaccine clinic, <laughs> um, like during the clinic, I got my first email from, a daughter that desperately misses her mom and the yeah. daughter's in healthcare and her daughter was getting her vaccine. And it's like, now that we have the vaccine, I can see my mom tomorrow. Right. right. And I wish that were the case. I yeah. really do. But unfortunately it's not, it's not about an individual being vaccine. It's about what we have heard people talk about that herd immunity. We collectively Mm -hmm. have to get to a level, a level of immunity. So, right. you know, will life change? Yes, it will. Mm -hmm. Do we know how it's going to change? Not yet. Um, mm -hmm. Our, you know, in our retirement communities, we are governed by the state. Mm -hmm. And so the state has to give us permission to change our guidance on visits as an example. Right. They have to help us. They, we have to wait for their permission to change the guidance on the dining Mm -hmm. and, and what I shared with the staff that I agree with you, it made an impact because I think we're focused on the vaccine so much mm -hmm. that it's not a light switch. Right. It, it, it's not a light switch. So what we have to look at is getting enough people with that vaccine so that we can have very few hopefully zero cases. Right. So that, that's the critical um, success factor is you know that the vaccine and the herd immunity is happening when you can, like I shared with you just now, mm -hmm. say for three consecutive weeks, we've not, have a, we've not had a positive case. Right. So that, that's really, really important. Yeah, so it's it's going to be very important to watch the trends over the next several weeks and, and months to see how that impacts how we uh, open up. Right, right, and 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 we're starting to work on that. There's, you know, once we once we start seeing that, you know, there's some things that already are within the governor's guidelines that we can take advantage of, and we just we, so we're brushing that off, and we're optimistic that. ECH's trend is going to continue and that Marjorie Lee and Dupree are going to be celebrating with the same positive data soon. Yeah. Well, and as you talked about herd immunity and, and everybody getting vaccinated is so important. And I know you've been working hard and, and partnering with the staff to get out the message on, you know, why it's so important to get vaccinated and we've got some information. I wonder if you could kind of talk about that effort because I know it's been very personal to you to, to really get the information out. Um, yeah, it has been, Brian. It really has. And it's because, you know, uh, you know I'm on site and I, I talk to the, the team and the staff members and ask mm -hmm. them if they're going to take it and take the vaccine. And I was really, I, you know, surprised is not the right word. Um, I, I was just really um, taken a little bit of back about how much misinformation is out there. Yeah. And I, I think maybe surprised is a good word for it because, you know, I've been living and breathing this 
every day mm-hmm. since March 16th, right? Yep. So, and I have a propensity to be interested in science in general. So, right. so it was really informative to me to ask people, well, tell me what your thought process or, or tell me what questions you have. Yeah. And what I discovered is there was a lot of misinformation and, oh, by the way, that's, that's my responsibility to make sure that people have the information to make an informed decision. So we actually created really, I would say, three campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, the one is the why video. So hearing from uh, um, our staff, our residents, our families, our peers, you know, tell, tell us why you're getting the vaccine. And those have been really eye-opening because everybody's getting the vaccine that's getting it for a slightly different reason. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to hear that different perspective. And, uh, you know, when I get the videos and I listen to them, I'm like, wow, wow, I hadn't thought about that. So it broadens everyone's understanding. Mm -hmm. The second is just really making sure that our our medical directors, our clinicians, um, that our staff have access to the most up-to-date clinical um, information about the vaccine. So we've hosted several meetings with our medical directors. Our medical directors have met one-on-one with residents and and staff members, just again, to kind of educate and inform and answer questions. And then lastly, because I kept hearing things that I just knew weren't true. So for example, I, I, a staff member shared with me that they weren't getting the vaccine because they, they heard that you can get COVID from the vaccine. Uh, yeah. And again, it's that biology degree. Right, I've heard that, yeah. <laughs> It's like, no, you can't, you know, it, but, but, you know, I know that. Yeah. But I, I but if the, if you've been told that right. or you've read that, yeah. Then again, that's on me to, to like provide it. So we created a series um, that says don't get fooled by the myths. So we mm-hmm. we put the myth out there and then we give the science straight from the CDC. Yep. Um, the science that kind of debunks that myth. So, right. you know, I gave you that one example. Another one is it changes my DNA or Right. You know, it, um, I don't know. What were some of the other ones, Brian? Um, well, I know that there was one recently about Hank Aaron um, dying from the vaccine, which has been debunked very quickly. Um, yeah. 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 But, and, and we know that, you know, there are some side effects for some, but they're, they're very mild in nature. Oh yeah. That was one, like the side effects are so severe and yeah. yeah so I think, I think overall, and, you know, and I've touched base with, staff throughout in, in asking their advice, you know, are videos working, are emails working, are right. the posters working? And just as you would imagine, um, they collectively have said, we have to do, a, we have to do it all. Right. <laughs> and so we're, that's what we're doing. We're doing it all. We're yeah. Doing- I think that's been so helpful from my uh, vantage point is it's going out in so many different ways. And now, you know, we're sharing it out on our website and on social media. And uh, we've just built a new blog page with up-to-date mm-hmm. um, vaccine information about where, where you could get it and who's eligible. And we'll be updating that often. So I think that's um, 
really been a, a, a great comprehensive campaign for the, the staff and the residents and families. Well, and Brian, I would be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to thank you and your team for partnering because I mean, you know, the risk management team, we have all these ideas and, <laughs> and, 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 and it's about communication and yeah. you and your team have just laid such a great fat foundation and a framework so that yeah. we can get things out so timely and in different vehicles. So thank you for your leadership in that area. Well, it's been a real honor. And as you said, it's so important to get it out in multiple ways. And we're, we're happy to support that effort. So, well, well we certainly uh, had a lot to cover today. And thanks so much again for joining us, Laura. And I'm sure there'll be no shortage again when we meet next week mm, <laughs> to, update, to update our listeners. I, I'd put my money on that as well. <laughs> All right. Talk to you next week. Okay. Thanks, Brian. Well, Brian, just hearing from Laura, it just makes me so thankful for our organization, the information that we share, not only with our with our team members, but with family members and residents. I just always feel so informed and um, and fully aware of what's happening just with with the latest with the vaccine and 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 what safe practices are uh, related to the pandemic. You know, certainly after a tough year, it's good to have some positive news and, and to really share these updates and maybe see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. So um, I think, you know, it was one of those conversations I really enjoyed um, having and, and we hope to, to just keep updating on the progress and, and hopefully to, to one day where we're, you know, opening our communities up and, and enjoying um, life as normal as we can coming out of this. So that was fun. So with that being said, uh, my next conversation with two donors uh, or a donor, uh, Nash McCulley and his brother, Stan, who as Kristen alluded to, grew up across from the, uh, the Mance Hotel, which was uh, a hotel listed on the Green Book and, and hosted many African-Americans, very famous African-Americans. And um, I think uh, our listeners will really enjoy uh, hearing them recall that and, and really hear from Nash about his passion for affordable living uh, for older adults. Um, so here's my interview with Nash and Stan McCauley. So I'm here this week. I've got some special guests, uh, Nash and Stan McCauley. Uh, Nash and Stan um, have a connection with our uh, Mance uh, affordable living community. And I, I wanted to talk to them about their connection to that, uh, that beautiful old um, uh, facility and uh, their connection with ERS. So welcome, Stan and Nash. How are you? We're doing yeah. fine. Great. So like I said, you, you have a really unique connection. We've, we've been in the process of renovating uh, the old man's hotel, which is a, a, a beautiful old, uh, what was formerly a hotel and located in Walnut Hills that's now on the uh, historic register and is being converted into um, affordable housing for low-income seniors and, and was actually a location where several uh, African-American 
Uh, people stayed. It was on the Green Book uh, when segre segregation still existed. And I w wondered if, Stan, you could give us a little perspective on your childhood uh, growing up across the street from the manse. Well, you know, it, it, it took a few years before we knew what was going on there because uh, I have some pictures uh, with my mom and uh, also with my aunt where I just barely came up above their knees. <laughs> right. so, so it took a few years, but, you know, we got to a, a maybe a four, five, six-year-old age, we were able to um, notice there was a lot of activity going on over there. Mm -hmm. you know, one of the first things that we saw was a very large bus that wound up being the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh, wow. And then we just started hearing a lot more about other, you know, when we did, we kept looking out, trying to see if we could find them at some time. Because the place we lived on the seminary was mm -hmm. exactly opposite, almost the front door. Right. And that was the Lane Seminary, correct? Seminary, yes. We didn't, we didn't get many glimpses, <laughs> but, but we knew what was, uh, what was going on there. And you mentioned at one point, I, I think you said there was some other, you saw the Harlem Globetrotters, but maybe some baseball players, famous baseball players as well. We did one time see Frank Robinson outside. Wow. We, we got a quick glimpse because he was getting into a car. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Frank was unbelievable. I, I, I can't forget him out in Crosley Field playing left field. Yeah. On, on, on the incline right there. And uh, I mean, it was amazing to see that guy. Um, incredible. We've heard of James Brown, just a number of others. It was kind of as we got older, we began to notice that all of them were black. Then we kind of caught on to what was going on, I guess, you know. Yeah, the significance of the hotel. Of the hotel and you know the uh, grade school that we were going to that's mm -hmm. where I met my friend at mm -hmm. six years old and still have him and so uh, you really got a feeling for it you know then with Lane Seminary that was awesome for kids and stuff like that because of the the uh, amount of space there to do things I remember doing snow angels out in the yards and I mean just kinds of things right very very interesting to see the the architecture in the building and then in some of the residential units we got to climb around in the um <laughs> in the below the uh, porches they yeah oh wow they had clicked off some areas and we kind of moved some of that and saw yeah we saw some of the areas where they had tunnels dug mm -hmm. and, uh, and even outside of over by Yale, we saw some kind of like bunkers where they had doors that had been just sealed off and stuff like that. They obviously had used for the underground. Right. And um, and since that time, uh, one of the last times I was in Cincinnati, 
I went to the Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. The museum. For the museum, and man, that was that was really really great. Yeah. You know, so uh, you get a feeling for the whole area, uh, Cummins. So when you have that, you you get to see why it is so important, and uh, what you guys are doing now, because. That's one of the key pieces of history yeah. that is kept in that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that just really bothered me more than anything was to see Lane Seminary being torn down. Mm, yeah. I mean, and uh, I've I've been in a lot of cities and all, and right. And I've been in um, uh, some of the Asian countries. Yeah. They really honor their history. Yeah. I think that was what was special about the Mance Project, ERS, to be able to preserve that as part of the history and have that tie back to the history, all while doing some good in the community. You know, there's a lot of great renovations going in in the community. But when they first started the whole project, Mm-hmm. Uh, the original idea was that we're just going to tear the manse down and build new buildings there. Right. And it, it, some people came out and said, oh, wait a yeah. minute, I can't do right. that. And so, it, so that's really been a, this whole project has been a way to maintain that building yeah, right. and keep it going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, we're very proud to do that. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. and it's neat that we can, you have such a strong connection to that that neighborhood and that building too. Yeah, yeah really do. You know, and yeah. it's, uh, it's it's something that uh, just makes you who you are. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. that sixty five years ago? You know, and yet we remember an awful lot about it. Yeah, and and, and it really uh, made it a very very solid. Yeah. And, and that was all the way to Cummins, all the way over to um, Peebles Corner. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, that was big. Yeah. So, and I think it's fascinating, too, to tie the story back, to come full circle from childhood. So, Nash, several years ago, you were introduced to someone within ERS that introduced you to the affordable living as well. Can you right. tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, and, and that's probably about 15 years ago, um, a classmate of mine from Walnut Hills, mm-hmm. Kent Duvall, yep. uh, who was working or was a volunteer at, uh, at ERS, mm-hmm. uh, invited me and, and my wife at the time to uh, a fundraiser, uh-huh. uh, which was just across the street at, at Hyde Park Country Club everywhere. Yeah, and uh, so I got to began to know about ERS and the project, but she said we have a new project that we're working on, right? And affordable living, mm-hmm. and uh, she invited me to a fundraiser at uh, Saint Paul Village, yeah, Saint Paul Village in Madisonville. And so that was my first real exposure to the breadth of this project and uh, got to see the tie-in between ERS Mm -hmm. and the model group 
right? Who are the developers that actually yep. get the financing for the project and mm -hmm. and then the architectural work yep. and the and the renovations. Yeah. And uh, so I got a, a feel for that working relationship. And I said, that looks really solid. Mm -hmm. And uh, then the, the expansion plans right. for expanding this, you know, it's, they got a place in Louisville now. And, uh, you know, they're within 100 miles of right. Cincinnati. And yep. we've got uh, over 2,000 residents living in these affordable living things. So I knew that the the connection and with the expertise that ERS would bring to the uh, operation of these facilities, mm -hmm. it was going to be first class. So I felt, uh, you know, even though I was living in, in Naples most of the time at, uh, at that point, Right. But our connection is Stan and I've talked about here is it, to Cincinnati is, you know, it's, it's where we grew up. Right. And so I felt that this was going to maintain my connection yeah. to Cincinnati to support the affordable living. And because that's a real need, it's a huge yeah. need there. And, uh, so over the uh, the next few years, then I wound up visiting new projects as uh, ERS developed them. Right, and they were popping up all the time, weren't yeah, they? they were popping up. So I started. I guess the first one I visited was the the YMCA down downtown uh -huh. on uh, Central. Yep. And uh, that, that's that's where I learned to play racquetball. Actually, that right. Uh, wow. But that the the top six floors of that mm -hmm. building yep. were converted to affordable living facilities, yep. and so I was taken on a tour up to that, and I thought, boy, what great apartments looking out over the city of Cincinnati from There's up some up. great views there, absolutely just, just un unbelievable, and uh, and then uh, Joy Blang then uh, it told me that. Uh, that they had expanded the scope of that by uh, tying the residents in with the students at the School for Creative and Performing Arts, which is just, just right. across the street. So they're sharing projects. And I just thought, boy, that, yeah. is, that is really a neat uh, focus that the ERS can bring to that. Yeah. Then yeah. I went on to uh, College Hill where a, a brand new facility uh -huh. was built in the middle of uh, the the business district, which yep. which it kind of deteriorated and fallen. But so this was, uh, and the, the people that were on the council there said that building this ERS <laughs> affordable living was a huge boost yeah. to the revitalization of mm -hmm. College Hill that that whole uh, business area right but then the number three was uh, a place was, called Knowlton Place which is and, close uh, to your heart apparently the reason that's so close to my heart is that I worked for 32 years on Knowlton Street three blocks from where that facility wow is built and uh, so that was really <laughs> that was a nice sort of homecoming type 
type mm-hmm. thing there. And I think with, uh, you know, the place in College Hill, which is only about three or four miles away. Right. And, uh, and that facility, they could share staff. Right. So they got some economies of scale with that, mm-hmm. but it was really neat. And uh, the city of Cincinnati said, you know, Knowlton Place was a real key element of the revitalization of Northside. Right. And that whole area. Right next to that American Can building that was yeah. empty for year, many years, too, that's gone through some nice renovation. And that's, yeah, that's that's huge. And, and so that's, that's great. Mm-hmm. And then I guess I went, uh, next, uh, we, we lived, Stan and I lived, uh, during our years at Walnut Hills, we lived in Madisonville. Wow. And, uh, so we got to know that Madisonville area and observed its, its slight decline. Yeah. But, um, the, uh, ERS took me to Madison Villa, Correct. Yep. an apartment complex, which had fallen pretty much into bad hands, I guess. And it yeah. was just not a very safe place to live. Mm-hmm. But uh, ERS uh, took that over. And uh, I guess that was about five years ago. Yeah. And when we were there, uh, when Diana and I were there in September, we got to see... Uh, that's it's almost finished, but it's it is really it's a great place. And I met some, you meet some of the people that live there, and they yeah. just so appreciate and and love. They they think I would never in my retire in my old age get a chance to live in a in a place like this. So so that was that was just great to see. And then, uh, of course, the real place is what we've been talking about. Right. Uh, when Joy Blank told me about three years ago that ERS was going to undertake the rehabilitation of the manse and, mm-hmm. and then creation of about 60 uh, living units in right. the whole block area there. Yep. And uh, that really, that touched a... <laughs> saw a spot in my in my heart there and uh as stan said we we enjoyed some really terrific uh childhood years uh mm-hmm. living in the seminary and and seeing the manse and the, the things going on yeah. on there and um so i think as as stan was alluding to you know just the history, the history of Lane Seminary, which was uh, the, the, the first president of the seminary was Harriet Beecher Stowe's father. And yeah. Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote the, the first version of her book, and I guess first draft of her mm-hmm. book, uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Right. And Beecher Hall, which was one of the, buildings on the on the campus on, on the seminary and, uh, yeah. and and one of the fun thing i took uh, stan found a panorama picture of lane seminary taken from gilbert avenue of the big administration and, and classroom building mm-hmm. and um 
And it included the library. And it included the library, the Dale Carnegie Library, which is yeah. where Stan found the picture. Wow. And uh, so I made copies of that, and Stan and my bro our brother out in California, myself, have. And um, I, I, when I finished that, I took a picture, took a copy of that to Chris McConnell, who owned the the, the oh, yeah, like ship it. that was built there? Yeah, and uh, I gave it to him, and I said, "Chris, I just want to give you this picture of a place where a lot of us at Lane Seminary used to play football in your showroom." And he got a kick, kick out of that. Can I just say something? I I really appreciate you bringing up the picture that I had and, and gave you a copy of and all. I also gave one to Matthew, my six-year-old six friend that I had. Oh. He would always talk, and for his 70th birthday, I gave him that picture. Oh, great. Yeah. That's wonderful. So I think when, when you roll all of this together, I think we have uh, this... this emotional connection, you know, sir. but also a real appreciation for the importance of that neighborhood yeah. in Cincinnati, the black community that lived there in Cincinnati. That was a real focus and build point there. Yeah. So um, with that, you know, and that whole connection, um, when Diana and I were there in September and, and Joy told us about the campaign to, to re, you know, renovate and, and put the place together mm -hmm. uh, with this sort of historical appreciation that the two of us have yeah. for, for that property, we decided to uh, support the, uh, and it's called the historical signage and display item of right. that of that rebuild. So yeah, uh, we uh, so there'll be some some great documentation of that history and what that yeah. building has meant to the African American community. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and one of the things in in talking about Lane Seminary and um, and their impact on uh, anti slavery which was Harriet Beecher Stowe, her house is about two and a half or three blocks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to the, to the north of, um, of seminary. Yeah. Right. And that was a, a big, big thing for, uh, for that. Cause she really did a lot about not only bringing out the, the problems with the slavery and the, and yeah. the, um, but, um, she did a lot with the, uh, underground railroad and, and had a lot of people around in different areas yeah. and all the way back. Cause I think she passed away in about 1870, right. uh, yeah. something. Yeah. So, so it is, it, you know, it's, it sticks with you. Yeah. Right. Right. Important work, but I, it just fascinates me that the two of you have, such synergies to the neighborhoods and the impact that 
ERS has had in those communities to provide low income seniors and your, right. your dedication to, to really help. And, you know, we've, we've always, you know, had the goal of having safe and comfortable communities, but then to have the services to help people age in place successfully. And we really appreciate that support. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we're just uh, really pleased to, to be part of that, uh, that, restoration of the uh, of the manse that's really special and we're glad to to be on this podcast here to to just talk about that and make a sort of a give it a personal element yeah. to that whole effort yeah yeah let's see let people see what the whole thing means to you you know yeah and um well, and, and hopefully soon. I know we're we're in we're dating this a little bit with in the in the middle of COVID, but we can all maybe get together and and do a groundbreaking and and celebrate. Yeah, that would be fun. Points. Yeah. Well, Nash, Dan, thank you so much for joining us on uh, on, on this segment of, uh, and we'll have to to get together and reminisce a little bit more once it all opens again. Right. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. Thanks okay. so much. Ryan, that was a fun conversation to listen to. Uh, I would have to say, if I could see the Harlem Globetrotters, that I was a big fan of them when I was a kid. That that really, that hit home for me. Yeah, that certainly resonated with my own childhood memories, even though they were really from a different time period. But to to hear how excited they were to talk about that and Frank Robinson and and just their experience growing up in in Walnut Hills and and actually a few other communities that were serving like Madisonville and where, where Nash worked in, in uh, Northside, it, the connection and their passion for the work that our organization is doing uh, for, you know, in affordable living. It w- was really a lot of fun. I, I really had a, uh, enjoyed that conversation with the two of them. So we'll have to catch up with them in the future. And uh, I can't, we can't wait to celebrate the opening of the Mance here uh, very soon. Yes, that's another exciting thing on the horizon. Absolutely. Well, that's it for this uh, latest episode of the Linkage Podcast by Episcopal Retirement Services. For more information about us, you can visit our website at episcopalretirement.com. We have lots of great content, including our Linkage online blog, resources to learn more about aging, and the services we offer, and so much more. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube to see what's going on with NERS and our communities. If you have any questions or feedback for us, please email us at info at erslife.org. That's, that's info at erslife.org. The Linkage Podcast is produced by uh, Kristen Davenport and Brian Reynolds. Fiasha Davis is our associate producer, and our technical director is Michelle Hain. I'd like to thank our guests today, including Joni Thomas and Nash and Stan McCulley. And of course, a special thank you to our president and CEO, Laura Lamb, for always being available to give her updates. On behalf of myself, Brian Reynolds and Kristen Davenport, thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to joining our podcast next week. Thanks so much, Kristen. Hey, thank you, Brian. We'll talk again soon.